Health data has evolved in how it's made its kombucha. And in part of that evolution, we've invested a lot more in science. My kombucha, he was able to eat a meal without any upset stomach. And it really blew me away that food could have that level of an impact when somebody was so ill. I look at it as a continuous improvement process. Like, where can we do better this year than we did last year? And let's push ourselves a bit. Welcome to the Beyond Capital podcast. In our purpose-driven world, leadership is increasingly crucial. We are bringing you the stories of leaders that are marrying profit with purpose. I'm Eva Yazari, CEO of Beyond Capital. And I'm Ed Stevens, CEO of Appreciate. Together, Eva and I have built and invested in businesses worth millions. We want to show you how social impact can exist in a company's operations, product, and culture, sometimes unexpectedly. We hope you walk away knowing the possibilities of social impact for you and feeling inspired by the potential to do good. This is the Beyond Capital Podcast. Today's guest is Dinah Trout. Dinah is the co-founder and CEO of HealthAid, a kombucha company based in Los Angeles whose products are sold in over 26,000 stores nationwide. Dinah previously worked in pharmaceuticals and nutrition. Welcome, Dinah. Great to have you. Thanks so much for having me. It's really great to have you here today. Cool. Happy to be here. So let's dive in. Before we talk about even your background and your company, I think because we've already brought up the word kombucha and you know mentioned that you run a kombucha company, I think it would be really great for us to describe kombucha to maybe somebody who's never heard of it. And as somebody who's a frequent drinker of kombucha, I'm always surprised that there are people out there who don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. So I would love if you could uh, explain to our audience what kombucha is. Yeah, it surprises me as well, although I've heard it so many times now that I'm used to it. More than 50% of people don't know what kombucha is. So if if you're one of those people, you're not alone. Yeah, kombucha is fermented tea. So it's naturally rich in probiotics and healthy organic acids. It's basically a bubbly, slightly sweet, slightly tart drink that you might drink in place of a sparkling water or soda. And the idea is that because it's fermented, it has all kinds of goodness for your gut. And of course, gut health impacts all aspects of health, including mood, immunity. So it's like a good for you soda. And naturally it has tons less sugar, like 90% less sugar than a soda. So overall, it's like a healthy version of a soda. And it just sort of makes you feel good. Is it the same kind of tea that you make iced tea out of? When you say fermented tea, it is? It is. It actually starts with green and black tea with sugar. So very much like a South Carolina sweet tea. Um, But once you ferment it, that sugar goes almost all the way down to zero. So the fermentation actually eats the sugar and, and transforms it into these healthy acids, which like you know, detox your organs and help your organs do what they're supposed to do. Okay. So how did you discover it? Like how did, what was your story of, of like first contact with kombucha? 
First contact. Um, so back in, so I did graduate school um, in nutrition. I got my master's degree in public health and then also a master's degree in nutritional biochemistry. And I just really fell in love with food when I was in grad school in Boston. I didn't just cook with it. I, it was like a passion hobby. You know, I healed with it. I healed all my friends. My friends were all my guinea pigs. You know, not surprisingly, I got into sprouting, seeding foods, fermenting foods, and I made really good kombucha, sauerkraut, kefir, you know, kimchi. That was sort of my thing. One of my things. And so I got my SCOBY, which is the culture that helps ferment the tea. Um, I got my culture from Tibet and it was like the best culture you could get. And I got it like, it took me a little while, but I made really good kombucha with all delicious, fresh, organic, rare ingredients. You know, not only did I love it for the taste and flavor, I immediately took to it. I realized back then the power of fermented foods, because when you're in nutrition school, probably much like in any school, you're white, what is it called? Wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. You know, you think you can heal the world with your, <laughs> you know, solutions. And, you know, surprising to me how many people had gut issues and food issues and were popping, you know, Pepsi AC or whatever all the time, even young folks. And my, my husband, who was then my boyfriend at the time, was having problems in particular. He was about 120 pounds and six feet tall. So really wow. skinny. We called it the heroin diet, except it wasn't, um, it wasn't, you know, drug induced. He just really had a, you know, I think an unhealthy gut and he was about to go on medicine for life, you know, from the doctor. And I said, give me six weeks. And what really blew me away is how quickly fermented foods changed his health, you know, within hours of having my kombucha or hours within having kimchi, he was able to eat a meal without any, any upset stomach. And, you know, fast forward to today, he's a, you know, 175 pound healthy man. So never had to go on drugs. And it really blew me away that food could have that level of an impact when somebody was so ill. So I, I didn't know back then that it was going to be my, you know, my identity 15 years later, certainly not. And I didn't hold kombucha above any other food. To me, it was a part of a, of a healthy diet. But 15 years later, I happened to find myself in a position to start a kombucha company. And I happen to have a really good scoby, a really good recipe and a lot of knowledge and experience about it. So that's kind of how I landed on it. That's incredible. You know, it's also interesting to me that you also worked in pharmaceuticals. So <laughs> how did that part of your background play into maybe your strategy of, you know, advising your husband to move away from that type of solution and move toward a food healing solution? You know, it's, it is it is an unusual sort of stopover. I did it because when I finished grad school, I had gone to school for four years at Tufts University. And then before that, four years at Georgetown. So I had incurred quite a bit of school debt, uh, you know, enough for a small mortgage in California. And, you know, when I was coming out of school, I kind of realized that the jobs I would get in public health and, you know, nutrition were just not going to cover the bills. And my husband was a musician. We were moving to California together. So I had to cover my bills and his for a bit until he could figure out a way to, you know, make his hit song. It was very much uh, for at first a, a thing of survival. Like, where can I work where somebody's going to pay me enough to live? And I was very science based, very science uh, educated. And the pharmaceutical companies at that time were looking for scientists and nutritionists to represent their product. And in particular, this one product line they had was a nutrition, a nutraceutical line. So it was like prescription grade omega-3s. And I happened to do all my thesis work on omega-3s. So that was like 
my bread and butter made a lot of sense, actually. And I didn't feel so bad about working for a pharmaceutical company if I was repping omega threes, although it didn't really align with my values from a prescription drug standpoint. Sure. Although I get that people need drugs. I'm not against them or anything, but I was somebody who didn't take Advil, you know? So yeah, you're right to say it wasn't really aligned, but they offered me a really good job and a really important thing happened in my time there that I think is the reason I started Health Aid. So I happened to get this opportunity in this big company. So it was the second biggest pharma company in the world, 100,000 employees. I did really well there. I happened to get this internship opportunity for a year to be a change agent. Essentially, I was given unlimited budget, no structure. My only job was to improve engagement of its own employees, of the company's own employees. And they gave me a geography to work with. And the reason was they were having, you know, engagement issues because that was when generic medicine started coming out and everybody was losing their jobs. And it was just kind of like not a great time to work in pharma. And I, I learned so much in that year. I learned I was good with no structure. I had a lot of autonomy and I liked it. That was unusual about me. Most of the people that also got that internship really struggled with that. And I did really well. I loved motivating people. I loved meeting people. And I learned so much about teams. What makes good teams work? Bad teams not work. Good managers. Bad. So it was like a business course in people and productivity. And I loved it. And when I finished that internship and went back to my normal job, I was like, oh, heck no. Like I have to lead people. That's like my calling. So I had a real itch to lead a business. And, and it was more interesting to me to be leading people than anything else, inspiring people. And my husband and best friend who also co-founded Health Aid with me had their reasons, but we all happened to be in the right place at the right time. So about a year after that change agent world, I, I quit the pharma company and started Health Aid. So I see it as a very important stop. Yeah, that's interesting. I think it's always, you know, one of the things you must come across all the time is this sort of, I guess I would just put it from in my own words, like all natural is great, but then we need science. Not that fermentation isn't science, but you know, we need regular drugs and pharmaceuticals and modern surgery techniques and everything too. And so it's sometimes hard to just know, like, when should I toggle between the like super modern world and the super natural world that's, you know, th hundreds or thousands of years proven to be, you know, effective. Do you ever yeah. run into that? Of course. You know, I'm a very, I'm sort of, I would call myself right in the middle. There are times, I mean, my general rule of thumb is you try to go the natural route if you can, but if you need something different or stronger, like that sort of American medicine or Western medicine is really good for treating, you know, specific ailments fast. So I think if you find yourself on the extreme of being anti of one side or the other, you know, perhaps that's a good time to sort of look in the mirror because I, I think both bring something to the table and you're sort of in the best position if you can pull from both. And the beautiful thing about, you know, this great country is we can have access to both. I agree wholeheartedly. And so I also have a, a best friend slash husband who I think, you know, ha needs needs support from from food and also pharmaceuticals for his gut health. I think I probably mentioned that on, on the show before, but I'm really intrigued by the name. And since I'm a fan of, of your product and I have this opportunity to speak to you, to me, it rings very similarly to Gatorade. And I don't know if that was intentional, but that would mean that the market that you saw also kind of a, a larger mass market. And I know you started the company in 
2012. I would love to hear about, you know, what inspired you to name the business Health Aid. Obviously, you've talked a lot about the health benefits of kombucha, but that, that go beyond that and thinking about just like what you could build and how you could grow your business when you were starting it out about almost 10 years ago. So Justin, Vanessa, and I definitely saw a market for kombucha that was more mainstream. At the time, it was something that really only, and I hate to use the word hippy dippies because I was somebody who drank it, but let's just say the healthiest of the healthy drank kombucha or the ones that, you know, did 12 yoga classes a week and ate kale chips for dinner. You know, it was like (laughs) really that type of population. Yet to me, it was a soda replacement. It was bubbly, delicious, kind of sweet, you know, made you feel good. Like, why should this only be for, you know, this is not to me the same thing as taking shots of apple cider vinegar. Right. So to me and to us, it really was like, this should be way more mass. And so our intention from the get-go before we had the name was, let's make this super approachable. Let's make the font not all swirly lines. Let's not put any ohm symbols on this. Let's not try to reference its potentially sort of Eastern medicine roots, because at the end of the day, it doesn't have to be tied to that. It's delicious and good for you. So let's just make that sort of simple. And you're right. It was totally tied to Gatorade. So kudos to you. Also lemonade. That's what I was going to say. (laughs) when we were naming health aid, we didn't know what to do. And we didn't have a lot of time because we had already signed up for a farmer's market before we had a product. And so we had about two to three weeks to figure out, you know, name, logo, you know, everything. And so it was sort of like we had two hours carved out to figure out the name. So there was a lot of pressure. Also not a lot of pressure because even though we saw the huge opportunity for help for kombucha, I don't know that we were expecting too much out of that summer being in farmer's markets. We were sort of expecting only to learn. We were going to give it our best shot, but I don't think at that point we were like, we're going to take on Coke, you know? So anyway, a lot of pressure in terms of time, but not a lot of pressure in terms of like, this name has to be it. And Justin was drinking a Gatorade at the time. And I remember just being like, well, it's, it's like that, but healthier. So we called it healthy aid for a couple of days. And then that just felt a little bit, you know, too much on the tongue. So we dropped the Y and healthy aid it was. So be honest. Did you make the first batches in your bathtub? <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but I will tell you for the first year we made them in our kitchen. It was all like as much kombucha as I could brew. Cause I was the brewer in the beginning, right? It was my recipe. So as much kombucha as I could brew after work and on the weekends, we brewed and the jars, we put them in two and a half gallon cookie jars. That's it sits in those jars for about two to three weeks to ferment. And we put those in a sort of front closet that we had. Now everything was really clean, but yeah, for that first year, it was all out of our apartment in LA. Nobody was made ill to my knowledge. Oh no, 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 (laughs) no. And the thing about Kombucha is, I mean, it's, you know, it's a clean, it's clean in a kitchen. It's no different than a commercial kitchen. So, um, and actually we had, we had public health, like approval of it. There's something called the cottage food act where, um, yeah, for a small enough business, you can, you can build it at home or make it at home provided it's clean and passes all the standards. So that's cool. So when you're introducing a, a somewhat unheard of or niche product into a market, how did you build trust with your consumers and how did you help them understand what the product could be for them. Not just, you know, buying one bottle, but buying maybe dozens. You know, it wasn't that hard when we were transparent about how we made it. I think the farmer's markets were a perfect place for us to start because you can try just a sip. And how hard is that? 
you got three honest kids, basically, you know, who are like full of life and, you know, representing something that they've already heard about probiotics, fermented things like they're already hearing this stuff is good for me. Maybe even their doctor's telling them to check it out or their, you know, sister or friend. So it's not like we're totally sharing something completely new. And I think I talk a lot about being there at the right place in the right time. We weren't the ones that invented kombucha. We weren't the first to market, but we came in right when the wave started. And when the momentum, consumers were already seeking health and wellness. They were seeking healthier options in their food and beverage right then and there. So it was almost like we just happened to be there with a solution when they were looking for it. And when people were walking through the market, probably about 50% that came to us already bought a kombucha, like they already knew what kombucha was. They were already buying it and they bought ours because ours was like the most artisanal you could get, you know, I mean, made in a home kitchen with a SCOBY from Tibet you know, and the way we flavored it was from cold pressed juice that we bought at that particular farmer's market, you know, two booths over. So, I mean, it didn't get fresher and more delicious than that. So those guys liked it because it was even better than the one in the store. And then the new people, 50%, were usually like, oh yeah, I'm having some kind of gut issue. I heard I should take probiotics. And we would just give them a sip. You know, we'd give them a little like sort of shot glass of kombucha and say, take it, walk around, you know, walk around. And what would happen is they'd walk around, come back for another sip, come back for another sip. That week they'd buy one bottle or maybe two. And then the next week they'd buy 12. And then we had these like just repeat customers that would order in advance. By the time we showed up in the market, oftentimes we already had 20, 30, 40 cases accounted for, which is huge for a farmer's market business, you know, like to already have those, that product sold before you get there. It was that type of business. And, and we created just very quickly and very easily, I would say, a connected consumer. Absolutely. And I want to get into some of the deeper or perhaps more nuanced layers of impact that your company is having. But first, I do know the founder and CEO of Brew Doctor, and he explained to me that some of the kombuchas on the market add in the probiotics so they they actually their process doesn't generate it it's become such a popular category that just in order to meet that need for probiotic food they add in the probiotics the way you've described it to me seems like that's not the case with with you but for you know the knowledge of of our audience is that something that is you know less than the more traditional method of making kombucha is it necessary i was a bit surprised by that but i also don't have the knowledge to evaluate whether that's good or bad it's a good question and conversation to have because i think again it's a good we talked about being balanced in the middle right eastern western so perhaps the more eastern folks might think oh it has to be a hundred percent natural like absolutely no probiotics added to this is that you know, that would make it artificial. But then on the flip side, there are some probiotics that have been, you know, studied and prepared so that they last a long time. And when they hit your gut, they actually are digested. And there's evidence to show that that those probiotics actually are the ones that benefit your gut health, which then benefit all aspects of health. So I would say that natural isn't always necessarily superior. So I, I wouldn't agree with, with Matt Thomas there on probiotics. Health aid has evolved in how it's made its kombucha. And in part of that evolution, we've invested a lot more in science. We've invested a lot more in studying what makes our kombucha special, 
What makes it unique? Why do people come at me at the store? And if they see me in the store sometimes and find out I'm the founder, they'll be like, oh my gosh, you have no idea how much this helped me. I have to take less drugs because of this, or it makes me feel so good, or I can't get by my three o'clock slump without it. I'm like, why is that? You know, so we started researching it. And what we found is that, yeah, like while you make kombucha at home right off the shelf, it's got plenty of probiotics. And if you drink it right then and there, that's great. But over time on the shelf, even the most artisanal probiotic product, it will lose its probiotic count over time, even in the fridge. And in fact, when we started researching product on the shelf, we found that to be the case. So if you got a product that was three months old, it basically like had half or even less than half of the probiotics that originally it had. So that now starts to warrant to me, well, maybe we should be supplementing it so that when consumers are buying it, they're getting all the probiotics. So we actually made the decision to start supplementing in addition to what's in our kombucha so that no matter what, when you buy a health aid at the end of shelf life, it's got half a billion probiotics, legitimate probiotics that are good for gut health, which is why people are buying it for four bucks a bottle. So actually I'm a very big fan of the, of the groups that have supplemented it. And it's not necessarily because their product doesn't have you know, an artisanal makeup or it's not because it, you know, so I would disagree in that, in that sense. That's interesting. It's like kind of like preservative preservatives and regular food on one hand, bad because people say no preservatives, but on the other hand, like if you are, you know, somewhere pretty rural, like it's pretty nice for that bread to last a little longer rather than going moldy. You may not have access to a refrigerator. And so it's, it's pros and cons of that for sure. And sometimes those, those, uh, you know, longevity and stability are important aspects to accessibility, you know, to that particular thing. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, you know, you look at the yogurt industry and this is something that happened in the yogurt industry as well. So yogurt used to be something that, you know, only the, uh, super elite ate and it was made completely naturally, not at all infused with probiotics from the outside. But what they started to run into was the same thing over time, the probiotics and yogurt, even after two, three weeks on the shelf were almost not none. And yet that's why people were eating yogurt. So not only just to preserve the product, but I would say even more to bring the health benefit to to reality, these consumers, they started to put probiotics in it. And I think it's been a very good thing for yogurt. We now know what probiotics in yogurt are actually the ones that your gut thrives on and needs. And so you can actually put those in. It's not exactly unnatural. I mean, these are naturally formed probiotics. They just are sort of cultivated and then put put in, you know, sort of formations that they can survive a longer period of time. So what they when they hit your gut, you actually digest them. So to me, a combination of having natural fermentation where those and then, you know, we're only talking about probiotics here, but there's also acids. So probiotics are friendly bacteria and yeasts that your gut thrives on. They need them. And your gut utilizes these bacteria and yeast to help digest food, to help get rid of gunk. It's incredible how much these bacteria and yeasts do in your system. And then as a result, your digestion works better, sure, but all parts of your health work better, like immunity, is apparently 80% driven from your gut. So if your gut's all messed up, your your immune response is going to be too, you know, skin health, hair health. And then they say mood now too, like 90% of serotonin, which is the, uh, people call it the happiness drug, but 90% of it is driven from your gut. So yeah, I mean, we should have a real incentive here to keep our guts healthy, but it's not just the probiotics. So bacteria and yeast also 
transform sugar and other things into these acids. So acids like gluconic acid, acetic acid, lactic acid, it's probably not something you're reading too much about, but if you were to just research, like type into Google, acetic acid, what you'd find is all kinds of research being done on these things in disease states like diabetes, cancer prevention, skin health prevention, because these acids are really critical for our health as well. And they wouldn't be able to be created without those bacteria. So to me, kombucha, what's beautiful about it is it's not just the probiotics, it's also those acids that only can be formed from probiotics. So I think the best world, and it's what Health Aid does, is to mix both. Do the artisanal way, brew the kombucha, ferment it, develop all these beautiful acids that are good to health, but then also supplement it so that no matter when you buy the product, three, four, five months on the shelf, it's going to have you know what you want and what you need. Absolutely. Thank you. No, that's very... Very, very helpful explanation. I want to to talk about people. You mentioned people in the beginning of our interview. I would love to hear a little bit more about the company culture. You have 200 employees and, you know, what the company culture is like at HealthAid. And, you know, given your passion for leadership, as you expressed to us, like how, what it was like to build that over the past nine years. It's been a real honor to build this company of people. And I will just say that we've grown really fast over the last nine years. You know, oftentimes I'll get the question like, what's the secret to your success? And, you know, while I love to pay a nod to the importance of the kombucha itself, I actually think it's the people because it's the people that do the work. When you see a product, you know, and I'll have friends text me from like Hawaii being like, look, you're in this tiny little bodega on this, you know, tiny island. It's people that got it there. It's all kinds of people, people that built the product, made sure the cap was tight, got it sold, put it on the truck, the truck got it. I mean, there's so many people involved with getting a product on the shelf. It's incredible. You know, when you grow fast like that, it's pretty obvious to me, or at least understandable that the wheels can shake so much that they fall off, you know, and, and that things can go wrong. And it hasn't really for health aid. I mean, of course the wheels shake, but we've managed to keep the wheels on and we're rowing in, you know, the sort of same direction. And I think that's very much because of our culture. And yes, I think that is from the pharmaceutical change agent days where I recognize at the onset that values are important, culture is important, meaning's important, employee happiness and engagement is really important. And so we've always invested in that almost earlier than investors agreed with, you know, from the get go. And, but I, but I'm now reaping the rewards. And in particular during COVID, I really noticed it because it was such a tough time, high stress for everyone. Everybody was having a crappy time with COVID, no matter what your circumstance. I noticed at this time, how strong my culture was only because those around me in comparison were really struggling and we got stronger, like our engagement points actually went up last year, which is so cool to me, but it, it, it's not without hard work. A huge amount of investment and time and care and attention and constant sort of continuous improvement is required to keep a culture that's strong. And I would say ours is, I'd put it up with the best. It's one of the best groups of people. Again, it's an honor. In addition to making those changes or kind of investing in your people, it seems like maybe one of the bigger adaptations over time for your business must have been that in the early days, you were sort of like you said, early catching the wave. You know, you were the probably the only people at the farmer's market selling kombucha at the time. And then really transformation to today. And and now, for all I know, Coca-Cola has a kombucha brand. 
Safeway is private labeling it or, you know, all of these different dimensions of, you know, running a business at a larger scale and in a more mature, more mature market. Would you say that, you know, like that's a, an area where you spend a lot of time thinking about where you're going, like for the next nine years, or how do you think about that as kombucha is like, yes, still people don't know what it is, but a lot of people do know what it is and drink it a lot. Yeah. I mean, to me, Healthy is about better for you beverages and maybe even better for you foods. I want everything that we create to be super delicious, but I also want that to be healthy. So I'm interested in expanding and progressing to offer basically foods and beverages that make people feel good. And I am particularly inspired by gut, by gut health. I really believe in the power of gut health. Not only right. have I seen it from the very beginning days at right. in nutrition school, but like I continue to see it and I see it even more. So to me, I'm like, okay, that's our platform. So to me, health aid is gut healthy, better for you beverages and food. So where do we go to next? Well, yeah, we still continue to, to grow kombucha. Kombucha still is something that the healthier consumer is into. And when you start to go to the health sort of adjacent consumer, the one that, you know, is healthy-ish, they don't have too many options and they're still drinking and eating pretty bad stuff. So I'd like to create something for them. You know, we've launched a product and we're going to be evolving it a bit to, to match this consumer even more. So this summer we'll be launching something called Health Aid Pop. And the intention here is to access consumers who are drink, still drinking soda and give them something that tastes really good. And maybe kombucha is still two steps too far, but has 90% less sugar. It's all natural and like can actually offer them something of benefit. So, you know, so that's an example of where we'll go. I'd love to offer something for kids, you know, so kind of there's a lot, there's a whole world out there of products we can improve in, in a lot of different categories. I'm sure Eva's eager to get started with the lightning round, but I just, I've, I've never won to hold back from giving cheap advice during our podcast. <laughs> and my cheap advice of the day is soy sauce. I, I am obsessed with the idea of brewing my own soy sauce. Don't Very know cool. why. Don't know why. I this haven't started my soy sauce journey yet. Have you ever made it, Eva? No. <laughs> Does anybody make I soy sauce? I haven't thought at home? about it. Totally. It's actually not that difficult to make. I made it back in graduate school, but you know, and it's not too different a process. Everything fermented starts with something you can ferment and some culture. So you have to get your hands on some soybean and, Koji. you know, figure the code. Yeah. And you figure, yeah. And you figure out exactly like how you ferment it and you just start. The thing about fermenting is it takes some time. It's a little bit of a dance. Your first batch, it's not that easy to get good. Like it takes a few months, but if you stay at it, you might be in a place where you're drinking your soy sauce straight because it's so good. I'm going to make soy sauce. Yeah. You heard it here Do first. It. I'm excited. I hope I hope we can maybe do a podcast giveaway of some of your soy sauce when you perfect it. It's also fun to say. Soy yes, sauce. it is. I admit <laughs> that I gave up when trying to keep a sourdough starter and also like I've a done kefir, that. the kefir mm -hmm. um, starter going and just the, the feeding every day was too much for me. So um, well, that's, that's the thing. I mean, Kombucha is the same way. It's so, it's not hard to make, but it is something you have to tend to. And who the heck has time for that? Like, it just starts to become not a very convenient thing. You go away, your SCOBY, you know, needs to be fed. It's like a whole thing. So 
we just make it for you. And I think that's one of the reasons fermented foods are a great option for prepackaged foods, provided you can like maintain its authenticity. Cause like nobody has time to ferment kimchi. It's just like, come on, like do it for me, you know? And luckily people are starting to get into that. And there's all kinds of options. There's all kinds of options in the stores now. It's great. Yeah. So let's dive into our rapid fire questions. Oh um, yeah. So that we can get to know you a little bit better. I'm going to kick it off and Ed will will jump in as well. The first question is, what book is on your nightstand right now, Dinah? I'm reading it every day. It's called Presence Process and I love it. It's sort of a self-help book about finding a way to be present even in the most tumultuous and chaotic situations and being okay with negativity or, you know, it's just a really awesome book. I recommend it for That's everybody. Interesting. Okay. So what is your go-to beverage in the morning? Coffee, tea, or caffeine-free? Caffeine-free, first thing, lemon, lemon water. Okay. But I do have coffee after that. <laughs> <laughs> my first, my first drink is caffeine-free though. <laughs> Name something that is giving you hope right now. Hmm. Probably the thing that's giving me the most hope is as cheesy as it sounds, my two kids, you know, they just have so much energy. They've always got smiles on their face. And like, no matter how bad my day is, they just kind of snap me right out of it and remind me that, you know, nothing matters in comparison to, you know, the love that we have. <laughs> it's so cheesy. <laughs> Tears are that's falling amazing. around America. <laughs> yes. What is one trend you're watching in your industry? Definitely the soda alternative world that soda drinkers are leaving in droves. And I don't see that there's a real solution for them. So I'm watching that trend of where are they going? Do you have a favorite resource for staying up to date on current events in your industry? It could be a podcast or a website or a newsletter. I think BevNet's really good for that. BevNet's a a trade company for our beverage industry, and I really like their balanced approach to news. So you must get all like busy and dealing with the challenges of distribution and manufacturing and sourcing high quality organic products. What is the best way for you to unwind? Oh yeah. Glass of wine, workout, bath, not in that order, but, uh, (laughs) but those are the three go-to things for me. Incredible. And last rapid fire question what is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? Just to get out of your head. You have it all. You have everything you need. You don't need to go get anything. You, you, got, you got everything you need to get started. That's great. As we start to wrap up, I do want to touch on the attention to environmental impact that HealthAid has. I think it's, it's really important to highlight that your company focuses on profit, people, and planet as well. Can you tell us a little bit about how you deal with waste and also your philosophy of mostly buying organic? Yes. From the start, it wasn't even a question. We were going to be an organic company. Coming from nutrition school, I had enough information to persuade me that there was no other way. Luckily, the price difference between organic and non-organic has gone down so much that it's still allowed us to remain competitive. And I think it will only continue to do that. So for me, organic is just no brainer, no question. It's 100% how I personally shop. And I don't want to put anything out into the world that doesn't support that type of world because obviously it has downstream impacts. 
And then, you know, internally as a company, I look at it as a continuous improvement process. Like where can we do better this year than we did last year? And let's push ourselves a bit. That's sort of in general, how we approach everything at HealthAid. It's very continuous improvement based instead of trying to move boulders. You know, what's kind of cool is we've done that every year for nine years and now we're in a we're pretty good place. I would say we have very little waste as a company overall, especially in manufacturing that can be tough. So some examples, we produce quite a bit of organic waste. We juice a lot of things. So there's a lot of like, you know, rind and peels and fibers and stuff. And most manufacturing companies put that right in the trash. Obviously, there's an opportunity to compost that. So we compost 100% of organic materials. You know, it costs us more money to do that, but obviously it makes a lot of sense for us because we're trying to, you know, like you said, impact the planet and our community in, in a way that, you know, I believe it all to be a symbiosis here. So you can't just like shoot your left foot and then hop on your right. So I'm not going to run very fast that way. You know, some other things is we just, you know, we're one of those companies that when you go into the lunchroom, you've got compost, recycling, and trash. Again, a small change you can make that every company can make, um, but still 90% don't. And so, you know, we're able to do that. Everything's recycled. You know, we try to limit. One of the things we're trying to focus on this year is travel. Obviously, COVID has impacted travel a lot. But one of the things we learned is we don't have to travel as much. And obviously, there's a carbon footprint with travel. So really trying to think about the environment in our decision and it's it's helping us see that there are solutions out there, you know, that we can entertain that don't necessarily involve getting on a plane. So yeah, just things like that. I mean, I would say it's not like the the biggest purpose for our company, even though of course everything I do, I want to consider that. The biggest purpose to me is is the so is sort of the social people impact. That's my that's sort of my purpose at HealthAid is to not just make great tasting products that that you know, help people live their best lives as employees to inspire them to be their best selves, to inspire them to be exactly who they were put on this earth to be. That's, that's sort of what I want to do in my company of people. So I've got 200 now to work with and it's been a real privilege. I'm sure you're inspirational to them. I'm inspired. Oh, well, thank you. Likewise. And I want to say thank you, Dinah, for being with us today and teaching us a lot. As I could certainly speak for myself. I am craving a health aid and I don't have one in my refrigerator. This is my current dilemma, ah. which means that I am very blessed in my life. But thank you so much for being here and illuminating all areas of your business and also helping our listeners dive into kombucha, what it is, why it's good for them and leadership. Yeah, thank you so much. Your authenticity really shines through. That's a big takeaway. And I'm sure that that comes out in your leadership and everything else. And so um, just congratulations on being your best self. Thank you so much, guys. I appreciate it. Take care. Thank you. Once again, it's clear that a business leader with good intentions can create an impressive social, environmental, and ethical impact. There is always a way to put meaning behind the mission of a company, and we can all make a difference. You've taken the first step by listening to the Beyond Capital podcast. Thanks for joining us. Don't forget to rate, review, and if you haven't yet, subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. For more information, go to beyondcapitalpodcast.com. You can follow me on Twitter at EA Stevens. And follow me on Instagram at Conscious Investor. Until next time. Bye, everyone. <laughs>